this morning that you would teach us what it means to trust you so that it can do well of our soul, God. Lord, that you are good and you're working at good things in our life even when we don't see them happening, Father. That you are worthy to be trusted and that ultimately you are doing a good work in us and in our world. Lord, help us learn to yield to you this morning as we look at the book of Jonah. And I pray that you would meet us here. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Good morning, church. On this very warm day. You know, I was like, man, it's hot in the shade today. That's a bad sign for later on. But welcome and glad you're here. Welcome to those that are online. And I have a few announcements I want to give us before we get going into our sermon this morning. We've got a couple good events coming up. The first one is this, Edge Fest. This is for our junior hires. Uh, If you are completed the fifth grade through the eighth grade, you are welcome to come on this. Come talk to Max. They're going next weekend to camp out at East Canyon. It's going to be really, really fun. They always have a good time. Now, just in case you don't want to feel left out, the next weekend, we have our senior high doing their Moab trip, 40 hours in the wilderness. Josh, that doesn't necessarily sound like a good time. I don't, I don't, yeah, yeah, it's a good time. It's been a good time in the past. So if you have senior high kids, uh, they're going to do the 40 hours in the wilderness, not this coming weekend, but the next weekend. And so talk with Josh if you want your kids to be involved. It's always a good time. They reenact Bible stories. It's quite a fantastic thing they do. So, all right. Uh, I want to make one other announcement this morning. Um, Last week, Pastor Kevin noted at the very end of the service that there were some things going on with the elders, and that sounded a little cryptic to me, so I thought maybe we ought to explain that a bit. Um, But we want you to be in prayer for three of our elders, okay? Uh, So this week, Buck Buchanan, uh, who sits right here, one of our elders, is having heart surgery to replace a heart valve, Uh, and so we'd like you to be in prayer for him this Thursday as he goes in to do that. We're looking for God to do good things there. Uh, and then two of our other elders, Ron and Alex, Ron is right here and Alex is back there. These guys are looking for jobs and we're hoping to keep them around. And so we want you to be in prayer for them. They've asked that the church pray for them. Um, they're searching diligently for work and we've been asking God that God, these are good guys and we want to keep them around as elders of our church. So would you join us in prayer this week and over the next couple weeks for these three guys We love that God has raised them up to lead this church, but we need God to do some things for them. And so uh, we're asking him uh, to do great things. So let's be in prayer for them. And and if you can, stop by, say hi to them, and just say, I'm going to be praying for you uh, as as the weeks go forward. Okay, this week, as you heard, we're finishing up the book of Jonah. So if you want to grab your Bibles, we're going to be looking at Jonah chapter 4. And uh, also, as you heard, we're finishing out our PRAY acronym, and we're looking at the Y, the y- which stands for yielding. We're going to praise, we're going to repent, we're going to ask, and then we're going to yield. And Jesus taught us a prayer of yielding in the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, 9 through 13, that we sung this morning. And it's this, Matthew 6, 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I always like to throw in there, and in my heart, (laughs) right? It starts with me. This is our prayer of yielding. Yielding is really placing our lives under God's sovereign authority, what he is doing 
in the world, setting down our desires, picking up God's desires, and realizing his plans are better than our plans, even though it may not seem like it at the time. And I want you to, I want you to see this. Yielding is really the total of the Christian life. Okay? When you become a Christian, you say, Jesus, you are Lord. I'm no longer Lord of my life. That's yielding to God. And then the whole Christian life becomes a process of every little part of our heart. God says, give me that part, give me that part, and we hand it over to him as he sanctifies us. And even this morning, Sunday by Sunday, as we come to God's word, we approach God's word, and we want to yield our hearts to it. We want to place ourselves under God's word and let it speak to us. And so this morning, we will seek to do that even as we hear from Jonah 4. And really, this is the question of discipleship every week. How do I hear from God and let my response be to place my life in what he has said? So in this week, we get to do that out of Jonah 4. And in this chapter, Jonah 4, actually, it talks about Jonah's unwillingness to yield to God. It's kind of a funny chapter. It's actually a great case study on how not to yield that will teach us what it looks like to yield. So Shelley reviewed the story for us. Jonah uh, was, was a prophet of the Lord who had to go and speak to the Ninevites. He refused to do so, went to Tarshish, swallowed by the fish. God spits him out and says, hey, why don't we go speak to the Ninevites? He says, okay, I'll go this time. He goes, he preaches, they repent, and Jonah's mad. This is chapter 4, right? That he is mad that God is doing something with these people. And just like so many of us, Jonah thinks he knows better than God what should happen with these people. And as we will see, his unwillingness to yield to God's good and merciful, gracious plan that he's working out in the world. So this is what we're going to see this morning as we work through these chapters. this chapter. As Christians, we want to be those that will yield our lives to God believing that despite the circumstances we're facing, he's doing something better in our lives and in the world than we can imagine. That his plan is better. And then we give our lives to that. That's yielding to God. And that's what every Christian has to do. So this morning we'll look at chapter 4 in two parts. We'll look first at Jonah's anger at God in the first, um, or Jonah 3.10 through Jonah 4.4. And then we'll look at God's lesson to Jonah, uh, Jonah 4, 5 through 11. And so let's look at Jonah's anger at God, verses 3, 10 through 4, 4. And we'll spend a lot of our time here uh, this morning. Jonah 3, 10 says this, When God saw what they did, and this is the Assyrians in Nineveh, in Nineveh so Nineveh is the capital of Assyria, how they turned their heart from their evil way, God relented, of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. He did not do it. So this is a gospel principle here. We talked about this last week. If you're willing to repent, to turn from your sin to God, God will show you kindness and forgiveness. This is the very character of God, the nature and character of God, to forgive, to repent, to draw us back into relationship when we turn to him. In fact, he loves to do nothing more than to forgive and relent of the things that he said he would do. This is his very nature. We see this in 1 John 
uh, 1.9, even in the gospel, it says, if we confess our, our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This means wherever you are, whatever you've done, God has made a way back to him through Christ. And if we will repent of our sins, he says, you're forgiven. Come and follow me. Make Jesus Lord of your life and follow him. God is faithful to turn back to us as we turn to him. This is his character. And as believers, we do this over and over and over again. I was talking with a friend last night on a run up to Red Pine Lake, and we were talking about how we had been praying through the pray and acronym this week and repenting and repenting again and again and again, and God is faithful to forgive again and again and again, and he loves to do it. This is his character. In fact, one famous Christian said all of the Christian life is really repentance, a constant turning of our lives back to God and saying, I'm sorry, and then experiencing his forgiveness and grace. This is the nature of our God. He is gracious and merciful, forgiving and loving. So what do you need to repent of this morning? All right, this is what Jonah uh, brings about in our hearts. So God relented of the disaster he was going to do because the Ninevites repented. But this did not sit well with Jonah. Look at this. These are some of the funniest verses in the Bible. And sad, for that matter. Jonah 4, 1 through 4. Here's what it says. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. In fact, the Hebrew there says it literally, he says it was a great evil to Jonah that God relented of his disasters towards Nineveh. And it says then, he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my own country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O oh Lord, take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry, Jonah? This seems like such a strange reaction from one of the prophets of God, right? Like if God said, go and preach, and I went and preached, and there was a mass revival, I would be stoked, <laughs> right? You would think he'd be so excited, and yet he's mad, and so mad, he'd rather die. Because he's kind of a glass half-empty guy. Might need a little medicine, maybe. And God says to him, do you do well to be angry? Really? Is this your response, Jonah, to my grace and my mercy that I just poured out on people? Are you really angry at that? Kind of reminds me of my kids when we, you know, sometimes we try as parents to do something really good and fun for them, and they just don't want to do it. <laughs> like no I don't want to do that and they go in the corner and they pout and they're unwilling cross their arms and don't want to engage right this is a funny story to us because we know we act the same way before God when we don't get our way <laughs> we've all been there pouting God I don't like what you've done I remember one time at work I was uh, slated to go onto a I had built the IHC hospital of Oakland and I was supposed to go on to the Park City hospital and then last minute they changed the plans and sent me to build St. Regis and that was the worst project I'd ever been on in my entire life 
And every day I go out and sit on the hill and eat my lunch and go, God, why did you do this to me? I don't like this. And God says, do you do well to be angry? Right? So why is Jonah so angry? There's been a lot of reasons proposed. Some have proposed that Jonah thought that God should only work for the Israelites, that they're his chosen people. So God, why would you deal with them? Well, God, Jonah's missing the character of God, right? Others have thought that Jonah, being a prophet, knew that in about another 30 to 70 years, God was going to use Assyria and Nineveh to wipe out the northern kingdom of Israel. And so Jonah said, why would I preach to those guys when I know what they're going to do to us, God? In fact, 2 Kings 14.25, another verse that shows us that Jonah was a real man, a real prophet, tells us that Jeroboam II restored the border of Israel from uh, Lebo Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant, Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was from Gath Helper. So we know right there that the time frame of when Jonah was alive, Jeroboam II was alive from 793 to 753 B.C., and roughly in 720, northern Israel was going to get wiped out, and Jonah may have known that that was going to happen. And he wasn't happy about that. But others find Jonah's objection rooted in God's character and the deeds of the nation of Assyria up to this point. Essentially, Israel was a vassal state to Assyria. They had to send them money regularly to keep them off their back. In fact, Assyria waged war all around the kingdom of Israel. They crushed Damascus just a few years earlier, just north of Israel. They were a constant threat and fear. In fact, they were a brutal army. While I was writing my dissertation in the Old Testament, I, I thumbed through pages and pages of images of how brutal these people were. They built big siege ramps to take over your city. They would behead people and put their heads in baskets. They would impale them on rods. They would slash open pregnant women. They would take slaves away by putting hooks in their nose. They were a brutal people, and they were proud of it. And Jonah thinks they ought to be held accountable for what they've done. In fact, Jonah's angry because he finds it's unjust that God did not punish the Assyrians as he thinks they should have been punished for what they did and do. In fact, it says in Jonah 4.2, this is why Jonah said, God, this is why I didn't go in the first place, because I think you ought to punish those guys. Jonah wanted them punished. Let me put this in perspective for us. I spent a week, uh, two weeks ago in Sacramento teaching at the largest Ukrainian church in America. I was teaching a hermeneutics seminar, and this is a great church. These people were on fire for the Lord. It's Soul Church in Sacramento. And I was teaching 18 to 30-year-olds about how to study their Bible. And so many of those guys had just recently come from the Ukraine. Within a year, they'd escaped. They'd either flown to Mexico and come up through Tijuana, or they'd found sponsors and gotten here. And they were telling me about all the things of war and the bloodshed they experienced. And it would be as if God said to one of them, I want you to go back to Moscow and tell the, the Russians to repent. And they go, I don't want to do it, God. 
Because you know what they did to my house and my family? In fact, you need to punish them, God. That's how I feel about them. I don't want them to be forgiven. You ever feel that way? Mad with God because he didn't act the way you think he should? Ever felt like you witnessed great evil in your life or around you, only to see the perpetrator get off and maybe even be shown grace by God? Ever want God to punish those that have caused you a ton of pain? I've had people in my life that have hurt me deeply and really wanted God to hurt them, right? This is our natural human flesh. God, get them the way they got me. Show them who you are. And yet he shows them grace. Kind of makes you mad at God, right? But we learn in Jonah, look, this is not a gospel attitude. This is not yielding to the Lord. In fact, in the gospel, those that deserve punishment, and by the way, that's all of us, actually get grace. And when we see God do that, we ought to rejoice, not be mad. Because somebody else has received the grace of God. Now here's the funny thing. Jonah actually gets a few things right here. You may not think it, but he does. Jonah's actually mad at God for acting like God. Right? God, I'm mad that you acted like who you are. <laughs> Look at what Jonah knows about God's character and how he's mad. And how he acted according to his character. Jonah 3, 2, right? I knew that you are gracious, God, and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Jonah knows his theology. He knows who God is. That's who God revealed himself to be back in Exodus when the Lord passed by Moses. This is what the Lord said. He said, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity on the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation. Jonah's mad that God was true to his character. In fact, at one level, this story teaches us that God's character never changes. And I want you to see, that's a really good thing. Right? If we had a God that changed all the time, where would we be? But Jonah's showing us God is true to his character. You can bet your life on the fact that he wants to see people turn to him and be forgiven. That's God's character every time. And he will welcome you every time when you are broken in your sin. And that's why we can turn to him in confidence, knowing that he will turn to us and forgive us. In fact, part of growing in the gospel is that you learn to turn to God quicker in your sin because of you know who he is and how he will treat you of mercy and grace and allow you back into fellowship with him. It's the lie of the devil that says, you better stay away from God. He's mad at you. The gospel says, Jesus says, come on in because I want to forgive you and show you mercy. At another level, it teaches us how we must yield to what God is doing in the world. Listen, don't be offended when God shows your biggest enemy grace. Rejoice that God is gracious, right? He shows grace because that's who he is. That's a good thing, as we've said. 
When we refuse to yield to the grace God shows our enemies, those that hurt us, you will sow a seed of bitterness in your life that will only grow and take hold over your whole life. I've experienced it. Bitterness grows into a disease that will consume you from the inside out. But look through the gospel eyes at the person God is showing grace to. And then we got to realize this. We got to realize that we shouldn't be offended at God showing grace because we were one of God's biggest enemies and he showed us grace. Romans 5.8, God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Of all people, we as Christians should not want people to get what they deserve because in the cross, we didn't get what we deserved. (laughs) Jesus took upon himself the punishment that was meant for us so that our sins could be done away with, and then he gives us his righteousness and says, you're holy before me. Don't we want all people to experience that? Do you do well to get angry? Our response to God's grace in our life and the lives of others should be a yielding of our heart and minds to the gospel and say, praise you, Lord, that you are gracious and you've shown someone else the grace that they don't deserve. In fact, Matthew 6, 14 and 15, Jesus here links this even to our salvation. This verse is spoken a lot to me in my life it says if you forgive others their transgressions your father in heaven will also forgive you but if you won't forgive them then the father won't forgive you god says you got to learn to yield to me and my gracious nature towards others and even pick it up in your own life and do it just the same where do you need to yield to what god is doing in the lives of others that you think don't deserve it Who do you need to give over to the Lord today and place them in God's hands? I think this passage also teaches us sometimes in our culture, we're offended when God withholds his grace from people that we think should have it. God is gracious and slow to anger, but eventually he has a breaking point. And if we consistently live a life that's apart from him, he eventually turns us over and we bear all the consequences of our sins. We can't be offended when God acts like God. God is gracious and and merciful and loving, but he is just and holy, and he will hold accountable. In fact, even in our story, we know that Nineveh, though now repents, will once again return to their sins and will eventually be completely destroyed about 150 years later. We should yield to God, right? Another thing that Jonah gets right here is that he actually, he wrestles with God in prayer. This is really important for us. He doesn't complain to his friends. He doesn't call the Ninevites names. He doesn't write a letter to the Israeli post about the injustices that God is doing. But it says he prayed to the Lord and said, God, I don't like this. And I'm pissed about it. And our problem When we things come into our life, we have to learn to take our problems to God and wrestle them out with him. Listen, when things come into your life, the problem is not that person or the situation. Your problem is with God. And God wants to hear from you. God has put those things in your life so that we will call out to him and walk with him through us. He will sanctify us in the process. 
In fact, Jonah 2, Jonah even models this for us. When he was fading away, it says, when my life was fading away in the, in the waters, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you in your holy temple and God saved it. Right? Jonah's even experienced the grace of God in the hard things of life. And now he's saying, why are you doing this to other people? And so we have to learn to turn to God in prayer when our problems come into our life. He is big enough to hear your complaints and answer you. In fact, the Psalms are full of David and others complaining to God, why are you doing it this way, God? Why are you forsaking me? Why did this come into my life? And God answers. So we've got to be prepared for the answer. In fact, we're going to study Job later this, this summer, and that's exactly what happens to Job. All right, Job, stand up like a man and listen to the answer. Right? You know, part of yielding to God is wrestling things through with him in prayer. So I'd ask you, what do you need to wrestle with God about? What do you need to pray about and say, God, I don't like this? And work with God on it. That's, that's part of what it means. It's a process of yielding to him. Put it on the table with him. Shelley read this verse this morning in, in the uh, NLT translation, Jonah 4.1, and I like what it says. It says, when it's talking about what happened to Jonah, it said, these, these change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. And I think sometimes this is where God kind of irritates us the most, right? When he changes plans on us. We thought something was going to go one way, and yet he takes it a totally different direction. We're like, come on. I mean, our kids hate it. If we tell them, hey, we can watch a movie tonight. You guys get stoked to watch a movie, right? And then the night kind of drags on, and things don't go the way we planned, and suddenly it's too late. And we say, well, not going to watch a movie tonight, right? They don't like that. Well, we don't like it either when God changes things on us. Even as adults, we don't like God to put a wrench in our plans. You know, several in our congregation, if we said, Ron and Alex, and I know there's others of you, have lost their jobs in the last couple weeks. Why'd you do that, God? We don't like that you changed that plan. Several of you, I know this year, have had really bad health diagnosis. God, why did... Why did you give me that right now? I don't like this. Just like me, I got bit by a dog and had to get rabies vaccines and while I was in Guatemala, right? God, why did that happen? It's bright pink. It's like neon pink and purple, by the way, if you ever get it. It's like, are you putting that in me? Sometimes we as parents lament, God, why did you give me these difficult children? Right? Thought having kids was a good idea. When you have relationship problems with your wife or husband that you never thought you'd have, God, why did you bring this into our life? When you have problems with friends or annoyed with that new coworker, right? God, why did they have to hire this person? Sudden move for work. God, what are you doing? I don't like this. I don't like the way you've changed my life. But it's exactly that. These aren't our plans. They're God's plans. And as Christians, we have to learn to yield to his plans, knowing that God's plans are better than we could ever imagine. In fact, Lamentations 3.38 asks this rhetorical question. Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? 
We have to realize that all things come into our life through the hand of God, whether he allowed them to happen or ordained them, and yet he's using them in our life. Back when Jesus is speaking to Paul on the road to Damascus in Acts 26, 14, it says, Saul, why do you keep kicking against the goats? Like, I'm the Lord. Stop fighting against me and start following me. And when we yield, we realize that his plans have an ultimately good purpose. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that for those that love God, all things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. When we begin to follow God, he suddenly turns everything on our life upside down and he will use every little thing that comes into your life to sanctify you and to turn you into the image of Christ. That's his good plan. He will fulfill that plan. And we have to trust that that's what he's doing. In fact, Romans 5, 3-5 says, We rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character. Character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It means even as you suffer, you know that God is doing a good work in you and in the world. And you can have hope because you have a loving God that never changes and who will see you through it. In fact, I love what Ephesians 3.20 says. God is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. God is doing more than you could ever imagine even in that tough circumstance that you are dealing with. He has a good plan, and he will work it out. And he says, trust me. Yield to me. Let me do my work. Let me be God. And you follow me. So Jonah is angry at God because God is not acting in the ways he thinks he should. But God's got a plan. And so let's look at this quickly this morning. This is God's lesson to Jonah here in Jonah 4, 5 through 11. And I'll just read those verses for us. This is God's response to Jonah. It says, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should, till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly happy because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better to me to die than to live. But God said, Jonah, do you do well to be angry at the plant? He said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. The Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, came into being in a night and perished in a night, And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? So God here is teaching Jonah a lesson. He's hoping that God will punish the Ninevites because they think they deserve it and God's going to teach Jonah about his plan and his attitude. So we see that he's sitting outside and he makes a little shelter that he's pretty stoked on. Gives him shade, and then God raises up a plant that gives him even more shade, and Jonah's really excited about it. But the next day, God kills the plant, and he feels the scorching heat like today, right? And Jonah's unhappy to the point of wanting to die. And God asks him again, do you do well to be angry? Come on, Jonah, I'm trying to teach you here something. 
getting at the heart of the matter. I want you to see this here. This shows us again that God himself shows him the o- himself to be the only one in control. The text is very explicit. God grew the plant. God destroyed the plant. God sent the wind, right, and the heat. And in fact, a lot of people think it blew over Jonah's little shed. So he was sitting there in a dilapidated shed in the sun and the heat. And yet Jonah's unmoved, or God is unmoved by Jonah's pouting. God is still acting in his gracious character, even to teach Jonah in the midst of his anger. (laughs) He's not giving Jonah what he deserves. He takes away the plant that Jonah loved. And God is saying to Jonah, you know how much you care for that plant that was my mercy and my grace to you? That's how much I care for this city of infinitely more value of people and animals. In fact, God's saying to Jonah, you should yield your feelings to me and care for what I care for. That is the saving of lost souls who don't have any chance apart from me, Jonah. In other words, get out of your pity party, Jonah. Yield to me. Care about what I care about because that's way more important than what you care about. And God is asking each one of us this morning to get out of our pity party and join a better plan. Right? Join God's plan and what he's doing. In fact, finally, this story teaches us about God's compassion for people. I mean, this is a storyline that runs throughout the whole Bible that God cares for all people of every nation, of every language, everywhere. In fact, 2 Peter 3.9, it says, The Lord is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. This is God's heart. This is who he is. He's 100% this all the time. And when we yield to the Lord, we not only yield to him as the sovereign that's the Lord in control of our life, we yield to him in what he asks of us to do, to live lives of holiness. But we also yield to his mission to save the world. And Jonah, his purposes are to save this great city from destruction. He wants them to experience the, the salvation that he's given to his people. And he, God wants Jonah to be a part of the solution. For those of us that have experienced salvation in Christ, God turns to us and says, now lay down your life to save others, just like Jesus did for you. In fact, what we see and why we have these two mission statements is that real life transformation, as we are transformed by the gospel, should lead us to real life uh, multiplication, that we would want others to know the message that has changed our life. In fact, a a friend always says this, God saved you to save somebody else. He had somebody else in mind even as he's saving you. And so God is asking us to join his mission just like he's asking Jonah. In fact, where is God asking you to yield to his plan to save the world? Where is he asking you to be a part of what he's doing in the world? Listen, we need more missionaries and church planters in this valley, in fact, I was talking with Kirk and Crystal, our, our, our partners in East Africa, and they're saying, you know, it'd be really awesome if somebody from Risen Life would want to move their life and join us in East Africa. Is God calling you? God's saying, yield your life to me. 
God's compassion for the Ninevites and Jonah is to call us to have the same compassion for those he does all over the world. God loves this valley. He loves this country. He loves every country in the world. He says, how are you going to join me and show the compassion of Christ to those in need around the world? How will you put down your pursuits and yield to God's call in your life? How will you make disciples and join me? Yield your life to me. Give it to me. And it's going to be really, really good. Because I've got good plans. Band, you can come on up. Here's the funny thing about the end of Jonah. At the end of Jonah, we see that Jonah and the people of Nineveh have actually traded places. It's an interesting thing. Jonah hears the word of the Lord, sees God's actions, knows who he is, and what does he do? Rejects it. He refuses to yield to the Lord. Nineveh, that pagan, even evil people, the people and the king, they hear the word of the Lord, and they repent, they yield to God. They're the ones that are yielding. And so in Nineveh, we see what it means to yield to the Lord, where Jonah refuses to ultimately yield to what God is doing. As we come to a close this morning, John mentioned this to us as we were worshiping. But we have one other great example of yielding. And this is in the person of Christ, right? He shows us what it means to yield as John 6, 38 and 40. says, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. For this is the will of the Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. Jesus is saying, I've given up my life and the things I would like to do for the will of the Father, so that you can find salvation in him. In fact, in the garden, we see that again, Matthew 26. He says, my Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass for me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Right? God, I want something else. I don't like what I'm about to do, but I know that your will is good, and I'm going to submit my life to it. I'm going to yield to you and what you're doing. So are you willing to yield to the work he's doing and wants to do in you this morning? We're going to spend some time, dedicated time of yielding to the Lord this morning. We're going to sing a song about yielding, but I also want you to pray. Pray and yield your life to God. Pray this prayer out of Matthew 6.10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth and in my life as it is in heaven. Maybe you need to yield to him for the first time this morning and say, Jesus, you are Lord. I want to follow you and become a Christian. We can help you do that. Maybe you need to yield to God in the circumstances in your life. Say, God, I know you've brought these. I don't like them, but I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to trust that your plan is better and you are doing a good work because I know your character and it's good. Where do you need to yield to God where he's being gracious to those that you just can't stand and they've hurt you. Say, God, I give them to you. Continue to show them your grace. Thank you that you're showing them your grace. Where do you need to yield your life pursuits to be a part of God's kingdom work in advancing the gospel in this city and around the world? Say, God, use me. Take me wherever you want me to go. Wherever you want me to go, I'll follow you so that others can hear about you. And so we're going to sing this song this morning.
And then just like we've done every week, we're going to ask you to do something bold. This week, if you want to yield to God, then I'd ask you to come down here along the front, kneel down, pray your prayer of yielding, and then worship God. Let's see if we can do it. If that's too scary to you, then I'd say as we stand to sing, you kneel down right where you are and you pray to the Lord and say, God, I give you my life. I yield to you. Do what you will in me. Make me a living sacrifice. And may you do great things through me. Let's yield to the Lord as we sing and pray this morning.